Greetings and welcome to the Business of Agriculture podcast with me, your host, Damian Mason. We get together every week right here and discuss issues impacting the industry of food, fuel, fiber, and farming. So glad you are joining us. Got a great guest today. He and I have crossed paths a number of times over the years. We are talking pork and national security, pigs, and world affairs. My guest is Bill Even. He's the CEO of the National Pork Board, former Secretary of State for the state of South Dakota. That's right. So I have done gigs for the uh, the pork people. The National Pork Board has been a client of mine a number of times. Pork producers, National Pork Producers Council, and I get around pork a little bit. So Bill and I have crossed paths probably during his pork uh, his three years as the uh, CEO there at the Pork Board, but also uh, back when he was involved in the state state of South Dakota. So the thing is, I asked him to come on here because pork and world affairs, pigs and national security, we're at a crucial time right now because of African swine fever, but also because of what's happening in geopolitical uh, battles in the world right now. I thought, who better than Bill Even? Welcome to the show, Mr. Even. Thank you very much, Damien. For those of you that don't know Bill, he's going to introduce himself. Farm guy from South Dakota, law degree from Drake in Iowa. Uh, I gave a little bit about your, your career. Anything I missed? Well, uh, I'm a family, fourth generation family farmer, and my son's now the sixth generation at our farm in South Dakota, uh, Southeast South Dakota, a little town called Humboldt. And uh, I worked uh, 20 years on our family operation before going off to college and then had the opportunity to go to law school. And then uh, that led me to uh, the Secretary of Ag job for South Dakota. So great job for, uh, for a farm kid. You didn't go to college until you were almost 40 years old. Is that what to understand? I started college when I was 33 and started law school when I was 36. Essentially, you were one of those guys out there doing the hard work and said, I wonder if there's some cush job I could get. I wonder if there's someone <laughs> I could be sitting in an office, right? <laughs> I tell you what, it's a whole different uh, feeling when you're, you're 33 years old and got a wife and three kids and a farm you're trying to operate and you're paying your own bills. Uh, you tend to focus pretty well on school. <laughs> I imagine. Okay, the National Pork Board, and uh, for those of us uh, that are, okay, we're talking a lot about what pork means because for the for the person listening right now that is not as up on this pork is the world's most consumed animal protein it is the most eaten meat the whole world over it's very important but there's more to it and that's what i want to get into is what this means from a global situation you know with china with the african swine fever and with global economics and trade wars going on but before we get into that the national pork board is one arm of the three that are out here doing the the good for pork in the united states of america would you explain that please yeah, you're absolutely right, Damien. So there's three parts of the team that represent U.S. pork producers. We're the pork board or the pork checkoff. And so we do research, promotion, and education. We don't do the lobbying side. Our sister organization, the National Pork Producers Council, they do the, the policy work both at the state, federal, and international level. And it all comes together on the ground in, in the states. There's 41 different state pork associations, and those folks are the boots on the ground working with local producers as well. Yeah, so obviously you're in Iowa because that is the nation's number one pork producing state. Then you've got North Carolina, Minnesota, Illinois, Indiana, Nebraska. Those you, know, you start naming those and you get most of pork production. But there are even pork associations in some of the uh, states we don't think of when we think of pork, like such as what, uh, Vermont or I don't know. Hawaii. Hawaii, for instance. Okay. Yeah, Exactly. Okay, the checkoff dollars, when everybody that's in the pork business sells uh, hogs, 
there's a little teeny sliver of that money that comes to fund your organization. And how much is that? Yes, yeah, four tenths of one percent, or the other way we look at it, for every hundred dollars of value, it's uh, forty cents. So if you got a hundred dollar bill, forty cents of that comes back to help uh, promote the U.S. pork industry. And then you do that by doing com- consumer stuff, outreach, tastings, uh, ads, pork, the other white meat. But you also go around the world to try to grow demand for U.S. pork. Am I right? Absolutely. Uh, This past year, our board of directors made up of 15 pork producers from across the United States. Uh, They put in around, uh, it's around $11 million that went to the U.S. Meat Export Federation. And they're our partner that work internationally to really help us make sure that it doesn't matter if you're in Japan in a high value market or if you're in Vietnam in an emerging market, um, they've got a taste for U.S. pork and they understand its quality and versatility. Taste of U.S. pork, I should point out that a couple of years ago when I was a speaker at the National Pork Producers Council, the guy on in front of me was with U.S. Meat Export Federation, and he gave a stat that most people in the United States would not believe, but it was some ungodly number like the, the rectums. The, this is a true story. The hog, a hog has a rectum. Uh, and it has a market value, but it's not sold here. It's sold in different parts of Asia for a pretty big amount of money. Do you remember that? That was like a dollar eighty-five a pound or something like that. Yeah, it's it's interesting. So when you think about uh, a pig, uh, maybe to put this in perspective, Damien, uh, U.S. pork producers uh, about twenty-seven percent of our pork is exported. So about you know one out of every four hogs is going overseas in some some way, shape, or form. Now the interesting part is that uh, there's large parts of the pigs that we won't we don't eat in the United States culturally. So in other words, we don't tend to eat pig's feet and so forth. And one thing that's probably not on the menu here is pig bung or pig rectum, but those are actually delicacies in Asia and China in particular. So you could be looking at the price of a pork loin in China and the price of pork bung in China, and you could have the bung uh, double to triple the price. It was my, one of my goals was to get a lawyer who's the CEO of the National Pork Board to say the word pork rectum and pork bung on my podcast. So I appreciate you appeasing me. Yeah, I'm happy to do so. We're exporting a lot more pork than we did. You did a graph. And I should tell the listeners that two weeks ago, you and I were on the same program in Minnesota for a, one of our large pork uh, companies. And you gave a presentation. And then right when it was time for me to go on, you left. I always appreciate that. But I'm sure you had somewhere to be. Uh, anyway, you talked about the amount we export. 20 years ago, the United States of America was not really a pork exporting country. We were about to break even. We probably threw a little bit overseas, but then also brought in a little bit. And we have really grown our exports in the last two decades. Explain. Yeah, it's been a stunning success story for U.S. pork. And you think about that, and what does it mean to your listeners out across the countryside? It means that farmers have had a chance to build and expand their operations. It's mean uh, sons and daughters have had a chance to come back home and be part of an expanding industry. It means that new packing plants are being built around the country. It means feed mills. It means trucks. It means business. It means the business of agriculture has been growing. And that's that's been positive for us, and it's great for our economy. We employ um, roughly a half a million people in the United States when you look through the supply chain. And that's when you think about economic development, uh, rural America is is really the heart and the engine and the soul of a lot of the economic activity across the United States. You said about expansion uh, that I read or heard at one of these conferences a year or two ago, we've brought five new huge processing facilities online just in the last year and a half. Is that accurate? 
Yeah, just within probably about, say, the last uh, three years, roughly. But there have been some big facilities been built, and it's the first capital investment we've seen in probably 30 years at that scale. Great news. And the thing is, the average listener probably thinks, okay, well, it has to be China because we always hear about China, 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 China. China is obviously very important on world pork. But as far as our exports, uh, most of our exports don't go to China, right? Yeah, when you look at, say, by volume is one way to look at it, Damien, and here's the top seven markets for U.S. pork. Mexico is far and away number one, around over nearly 720,000 metric tons. Japan comes in second, China, Hong Kong third, then South Korea, Canada, Colombia, and Australia. So um, the, the NAFTA free trade agreement is really important. And now that's called USMCA that they're talking about in Congress. Uh, that's really important that we're able to move that pork to the people near us, as well as the people across the Pacific. Great story right there when you just talked about uh, Mexico being our number one by leaps and bounds pork export uh, destination, which is fantastic because they're eating better and they're right there. We don't even have to put them on a ship to get to them. But you didn't mention Canada, and that's because Canada is about, what, uh, maybe 15% as much as us, but uh, that's enough for them because their whole country is only about 10% as much as us. So they're pretty self-sufficient on pork up there, right? Uh, they're actually the fifth largest importer of U.S. pork. Oh, they are. Uh, and they're the fourth largest and in terms of dollar amounts. So Mexico and Canada are either in the, they're the top four or top five, whether you're looking at uh, volume or value. And so that, that USMCA free trade agreement uh, that they're looking to renegotiate, uh, pork producers are really keeping their eye on that. Okay, so when you were running through your list, I heard Mexico, Japan, China, Hong Kong, South Korea, Colombia. I guess Canada was in there, but you were you were you went through it quickly. Yes, it's South Korea, Canada, Colombia, and then Australia is seventh. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, what we're also doing, which is really neat, is we're increasing consumption here. Uh, Americans are eating a few more pounds of pork than we did. We are hovering around forty-six pounds per American per year, I think, for a long time, and now we broke the crest of fifty. Uh, is it my accurate in that? You bet. We're pushing uh, 52 pounds uh, per capita consumption. And that's, um, I think the interesting thing to note is that most people, when you think of pork, they might think, well, a pork chop or pork loin or pork roast. But a lot of people don't think, well, okay, there's ham and there's sausage and there's bacon. Uh, those are all pork products. And so people do consume a lot of pork, even though they may not be thinking about it directly as, oh, I had a pork chop. Well, I had a sausage on the grill. Well, that was pork sausage. Yeah, and of course, sausage on a, on a pizza or a pepperoni could have pork. Absolutely. Sandwich, Absolutely. And so we're over 50 pounds. Can you say that that's because of promotion or trend? I always wonder about that as an ag guy. Is it promotion, trend, both? It's a little bit of both. Um, you're, we're in a competitive marketplace. You've got beef, you've got uh, chicken, you've got seafood that are alternatives that people can choose to eat. And so the pork checkoff, along with the companies that sell pork, are heavy in the consumer advertising and marketing space. And the other big mover on this, Damien, fundamentally is income. As people's incomes rise, they tend to eat more meat protein. That doesn't matter if you're in the U.S. or if you're in Asia. Yeah, we, we know that they eat more protein. Now, you're in that middle ground because the beef people know that when things get tough, they switch from uh, they switch from beef down, and that goes to pork. And then when they switch up, they go, you're in that middle ground. You're, you're higher end than chicken. You're lower end than steak. And no offense, but, uh, of course, I eat a lot of pork by myself, but uh, that's kind of how it's always looked at. But you guys have grown, whereas the 
uh, beef category has done has done the opposite. They're down 21 pounds in the last 30 years of consumption. You're up a few pounds. So what are you doing right? Well, we just happen to be in the sweet spot. So the nice thing about pork is it's got flavor, it's very versatile, and you see it as an ingredient. You just mentioned that, Damien. You see pork as an ingredient everywhere across the landscape, whether you're at Subway or you're at Pizza Hut. Uh, you've got the opportunity to have that, or you can have center of the plate cut. Um, the other big thing that I'd point out to our listeners is the Hispanic population in the United States is about 58, 60 million people now out of 327. And those folks, uh, pork is part of their family tradition, it's part of their culture, and they really love eating it. So pork is really well positioned, I think, in the United States in the long run to be a tasty, versatile meat that's affordably priced compared to some of the competitors. We're going to talk about the world affairs and the national security aspect of and how pork relates to it. Before we get into that, one last thing on consumption. When, I think it was you or one of the cohorts you have at a pork board meeting that said there's some ungodly number, like one-third of Americans don't eat pork, or at least claim they don't eat pork. What's wrong with these people? <laughs> well, the, the real number is 97% of Americans eat pork, so nearly 100%. And the ones that don't, you're probably just looking at what the vegetarian segment, uh, Jewish segment, or... Um, you know, say an Islamic segment. So in segment, but, when they do population uh, polling and there's people in surveys that say, no, I don't eat pork. They, they just, they're saying that because they either think they don't or they think they shouldn't. Is that what I'm getting? Probably they're not, they're not realizing that they're eating. They're not realizing that uh, the sausage or the Canadian bacon or the pepperoni, that's all pork that would happen to be on your pizza. And frankly, as we talk about bacon, it's a gateway drug for vegetarians. And so there's a lot of people who sneak some bacon in, even though they, they may or may not uh, s supposed to be doing that. Okay. About the world, uh, African swine fever, most everybody in agriculture has heard about it and certainly even some non-agriculture people have heard about it it's in china right now they finally admitted that they maybe had one-fifth of their hogs had been infected and they killed them off and called them from the herd an article i just read this morning says that it could be actually half to put it in perspective for our listeners china has half of the world's hogs they're the biggest producer of hogs by leaps and bounds expand on that for me absolutely you're spot on damien uh, china's home to the half the pigs in the world uh the european union is uh second uh, more of a distant second along with the united states kind of tied right in there in that second and third space here's the way of looking at it um this is a terrible disease uh, the good news is it doesn't impact people and pork is safe to eat. So you're safe, your pets are safe, and you can still eat pork. That's not the problem. But for our pork producers out there, um, this is something that they're really afraid of because they're, they, they care about their animals. Now, to put it in perspective, the numbers out of China are sometimes difficult to come by and there's wildly varying estimates. But even if you assume they lost 20% of their hog herd, that's more than all the pigs we produce a year in the United States. So it's, it's a significant number and there's a big protein hole developing um, in Asia right now. Okay. So that's the, where I was going with this. We, we know that there's uh, is the most consumed meat and in China, it's very, very important. That's where the disease struck. Uh, I probably would say that uh, we don't get straight information from China. So let's say that the population of hogs has been cut in half over there. And I'm guessing that maybe it has certainly by 25% has been taken off of it they're going to keep getting worse because they haven't got anywhere close to getting a handle on this. Will we see shortages or just high prices? 
Uh, what we've been seeing in the data that we're looking at is both. Um, you've got shortages of pork and it's supply and demand market. It's going to tend to drive up prices. I looked at some data here this morning from one of our uh, international marketing firms we work with, and they're showing already some uh, price increases moving pretty dramatically uh, interior in China. And that's showing that, uh, you know, they had pork in the freezers and it started to run the price up. Yeah, this is from the Nikkei article I picked off this morning. Chinese pork prices risk 70% surge as African swine fever rages. And this, this uh, could be a real, real issue. Of course, they're already saying, and they're a pretty protective, you know, <laughs> authoritarian government over there, that, that there's no concern that there's going to be other meat that the Chinese can eat, et cetera. Do you see something worse than just higher prices? So I think the opportunity for the U.S. producer is if we keep African swine fever out of the United States and keep it out of Canada and keep it out of Mexico, so you keep it out of North America, what it really does is it presents the opportunity to backfill that. Um, you know, that gets into the discussions of what's our international trade situation, what are the tariffs with China, how are negotiations going, they're kind of on again, off again here the past couple of months. But there's no doubt that China is going to be looking for protein. And it's a matter of where they buy it. And even if they don't buy it from us, we're the globe's a closed system. And so whoever they do buy it from, we have an opportunity in the U.S. to backfill someplace else. So our producers are cautiously optimistic with their fingers crossed that we keep the disease out of the U.S. and keep our pigs healthy and safe. And that will give us the opportunity to help uh, provide the protein somewhere else. All right. If you're, and, and there's people that think that I'm a little crazy, but if you're a trade war, if you and I are in a, negotiation and we don't really like each other you know me and bill even we're by god we don't like each other but we have to do business together but i want to win and so do you and you're from south dakota which means you're probably kind of tough but i might be tougher because you know what i'm going to do i'm going to fight dirty and you know what i'm going to do i'm going to pull out every last stop to weaken you as my adversary even though we have to do some business together and you know what i'm going to do i'm going to fight dirty and that's how i view china what if China helps the United States get African swine fever? Because rather than being a customer of ours, rather than saying we need that pork to feed our people, what if they say, huh, we're in a trade war. They are economically stronger than us. They uh, have more ability to go and trade than us. Uh, they have less people that are starving than us. My golly, you know what we should do? We should just let the United States, not only let them, let's help them get this disease so they have problems of their own, thereby weakening them. You don't want to say that that's going to happen, but I say it's going to happen. Well, I, I don't think it will happen, and here's why. Number one, uh, there's there's moral component to that, and you can argue that. But I'd say the bigger issue, you look at it economically, um, there's a shortage of pork. And it's not in anybody's best interest to have more sick pigs in the world because then there's going to be less pork. You've got to understand that inside of China, it, pork is the number one consumed protein in China. Here in the United States, chicken edges out pork. So you've got a culture that is tradition based on thousands of years of eating pork that loves pork. And why would they do anything that would actually dramatically raise the global price of pork so that it actually prices it out of anybody's, uh, anybody's um, evening dinner? So I don't, I don't think that'll happen. The risk that we've got, the real honest risk, Damien, is inadvertently somebody bringing something in from a foreign country through an airport or through a shipping container. That's probably where our risk is at. 
Okay. By the way, we got a couple things there, Bill. And since I know you're a lawyer, so I got to make sure I have to figure this out. But <laughs> back to this discussion about who's tougher. Would it, you think it's you or me? Who's probably tougher? I mean, because since we're a few hundred miles away on a computer right now, I think we could probably get this. I think we'd probably heighten this whole thing up and get a little bit more controversial. Well, I, I tell you what, uh, I've not met a South Dakotan that isn't pretty darn tough. It gets cold up there in the winter, Damien, and you, you thin-skinned guys from uh, what, Indiana? Is that where you're from? And halftime, yeah. and halftime go to Arizona because I hate winter. Yeah, you've got pretty thin skin then. I don't know if you'd cut it. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, here's the next thing about uh, this thing. You, you might say that, but I would also counter that, uh, that the China looks out for their own interests and helping us – Helping us make our farmers more prosperous isn't really in their interest. Taking care of themselves is. So you're saying that they're not going to help us get uh, African swine fever to really cause us problems. You think that they really would just would just soon go ahead and have a safe pork supply. One article I read said that the last time there was African swine fever in a country, it took five years for it to get completely cleaned out. And this article predicted it could take 10 years because China's low sanitary uh, threshold. Um, your opinion. Yeah, you're, you're, you're spot on there, Damien. It really depends on what does your nation's pork industry look like. Uh, the U.S. pork industry is uh, very modern. It's very well managed. We've got great veterinarians all across the nation. We've got a strong U.S. Department of Agriculture. Um, we've got a system in place. It's not perfect, but it would allow us, God forbid we have a problem, it would allow us to work through that quicker. What you're seeing in China, and frankly now probably in Vietnam, is there's a lot of backyard one and two pig uh, farm operations. And what you're really seeing over in China, Damien, are a lot of that stuff is gonna start to come to an end. And people are seriously taking a look at how am I gonna manage my biosecurity just to keep my pigs healthy. And sometimes that means making investments in, in buildings, facilities, fences, or whatever. And you're going to see a number of folks just exit the business. So I think in the long run, China is already sending, um, you know, sending capital into that sector so that people have essentially, if you want to call it the government's involved, trying to help them bail them out a little bit to get them back on their feet again. Um, not that, that, that will end up modernizing Chinese hard production is, is our, our estimate. Okay. So the, what ends up happening is this thing wipes out the, the smalls and the unmoderns and then thereby it's the, it's, it's the, it's the fire that creates the, the insurance that comes in and modernizes is what we're talking about. I think so. And I want to be really clear. Um, African swine fever can hit uh, big sophisticated operations, the same as can hit somebody that's got a few pigs in their backyard. You know, it, it knows no boundaries that way. But generally speaking, the folks that have got better controls, better biosecurity, fences, buildings, whatever, you've got a better, uh, better odds of managing, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, right. You, you're just, your protocols are in place to be a little bit more protected. Yes, okay. Sir. So, uh, when, when the whole world gets it, then it becomes bad for everybody. You don't see that happening. What steps? I was really impressed. I was extremely impressed that as a checkoff program, when you and I crossed each other's paths there at that pork meeting two, months, two weeks ago, you talked about what National Pork Board is doing to not only protect us from it with hounds and tie-ins with uh, FDA, I think it was. You also talked about a communication outreach program you are ready to pull the trigger on. Talk about that. 
Absolutely. So again, we we represent the nation's 60,000 pork producers. And one of our, I'd say our obligation with that duty is to ensure that should we get a foreign animal disease in the United States, people will ask questions. I'm a consumer and I'm going to the grocery store or the restaurant. I'm going to want to know, is my pork safe to eat? And so we did a lot of consumer survey work uh, back last Labor Day, and we put together a lot of communication messages designed to tell the facts and the truth and reassure the American public that don't worry, pork safe to eat. We've got the USDA in there helping us uh, when our state veterinarians, these are good people, and we've got a good plan in place, but it's going to cost a lot of money to uh, push that communication out. Uh, maybe we'll hire Damian Mason to help us. Well, first off, you should do that. That's, 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 <laughs> I don't know what you charge. <laughs> the, the answer is always, if it comes down to should you or should you not give Damian Mason money, the answer is always yes, give him money. Uh, secondly, I could help you at great length because the consumer absolutely is ag ignorant, but also we always think that, we always think that we're just going to educate him and agriculture, and that's not really what our goal should be. As I always point out, Ford Motor Company and Apple Computer don't think that you should educate them on how to run an internal combustion engine or how to work uh, the internal parts of, uh, they just want you to be an operator, they just want you to be a customer, they want you to be happy, and they want you to feel good and come back and do it again. It's not about education, it's just about fear mitigation. Hey, you know what? We've had all kinds of stuff before where uh, our cows got the sneezes and, and our chickens uh, got the sniffles, and this is going to be just the same kind of thing. It's fine. Your meat is fine. You've got the safest, most abundant, uh, and most variety of food in any time in human history here in the United States of America. And so that's what your message needs to be. Uh, yeah, you can, if you start getting into science about this, well, this is a virus, and uh, we can't give antibiotics for virus. The consumer just went over their head. So I think you keep it simple and, and talk about safety and variety and abundance because that's what the consumer wants. But, but you did something smarter than that. You talked about things you're prepared to do to outreach for the consumer, but you also said you went to the people with the United States government about what can we do to keep this stuff away from a protection standpoint. Absolutely. So beyond just uh, being ready to talk to consumers, a lot of this jurisdiction falls with uh, the state government or the federal government. So we talked to the USDA and we went in as a team. When it was the Pork Producers Council, the Swine Veterinarians of the Nation, Swine Health Information Center, the Packers, everybody rolled up in one and said, what are some fundamental things we need to do to harden our borders? So you think about this through the term of USDA, Customs yep. Border Protection. Yep. Um, anybody that's traveled through an airport internationally has probably seen a person walking around with a little beagle dog on a leash, walking through the, the passenger area. Well, what those dogs are there for is they've got very sensitive noses and they can tell if you've got something in your luggage, whether you're smuggling meat in, uh, whether you're bringing in fruits or vegetables or some sort of contraband. That one thing you don't want to have happen, Damien, is that beagle to sit down next to you. Because that's a sign that you've got something in your luggage you shouldn't be bringing in the country. And we, uh, we work with the USDA. There's around 118 beagles right now on duty. And they're bringing and training 60 more to help us at the, at the ports, uh, yeah. ports of entry. So you said that, and it dawned on me, and I've traveled internationally several times for business. Uh, I don't, like, say, oh, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take along a package of uh, pork chops. Uh, who the hell takes a package of uh, sausage with them when they fly a 14-hour flight for crying out loud? It's not even comfortable for you. You're bringing along meat in your suitcase. That made sense to me. 
You'd be surprised at what people bring into the United States when they're traveling from a different country. And often it's a comfort food or they're bringing some food back that they want to give to their family or relatives. Oh, hey, we're bringing something that was a traditional dish from Vietnam or the Philippines or Hungary. And the important thing to remember is that if you're from a country that's got African swine fever, there's a potential you could inadvertently drag it in the U.S. And that's what those beagles are designed to detect. All right. And moving forward, Bill Even, CEO of the National Pork Board, everybody talks about uh, the tariffs and all these things. And a lot of folks, I've gotten a little bit of a disagreement. I said, listen, tariffs didn't create uh, all the soybeans. Uh, a lack of consumption or maybe too much production also had something to do with that. Well, on the pork front, we have, we have much of the pork in the world is dying from African swine fever. So there's a demand for it but there's a 62% tariff that China slapped on American pork. But is that why they're not buying our stuff or is it just because they can get it elsewhere? Well, I think it's probably a little bit of both, but to be very candid, you know, tariffs are a, are a tax. And anytime you slap that on there, it makes U.S. pork 62% more expensive than pork from someplace else. If, they get desperate, if, the China's, if the Chinese people say we're desperate now, then they'll just move the tariff, I assume, right? Well, that's policy decision that the Chinese government's going to have to make. Um, now, they can choose to buy it from Canada or, or Brazil or someplace else, European Union, then they may choose to do that. I think the opportunity for the U.S. then is, well, if that if that port came off the market, who was Canada, Brazil, or the EU selling to? Can we enter there and, and develop a customer relationship? This, this is just business. As you said, it's a closed, it's a closed market. The world is a closed, closed marketplace, system. meaning yep. it's closed system. So that, yes, if China grabs all the meat that the European Union can produce, then there's going to be somebody that they were selling to that we then sell to. You got uh, it. So moving forward on this disease thing, if I'm a, if I'm, on the plant-based meat side. You know, I think about this from all angles. Just like you said, should we hire Damien to help get the word out to consumers that pork is safe if we end up with the uh, ASF here? Well, it's all about communication because marketing isn't bamboozling. It's really about communicating what matters to the customer. It's about saying, okay, we know that this is what the customer cares about. We're going to appeal to that. If I was a plant-based meat marketer, I would grab video from Fair Oaks Farm showing those uh, farm laborers dragging calves around by their ears and picking them up and throwing them and abusing those calves. I would grab every headline about African swine fever. I know, and you know, that it's not at all a danger to humans. But if I'm a marketer of plant-based meat, I'm going to say, your animals are being abused. Your animals are diseased. If you want protein that's natural, and is humane and disease-free, buy the Beyond Burger or the Impossible Burger or whatever the plant-based offering is. How do you combat that? Well, first off, I would certainly hope that someone doesn't stoop to that low a level. The one thing that we do not do here at the Pork Check office is disparagement. So we don't throw other people under the bus. We're proud of who we are and what we do. And we're, we're proud and we, we're, we're loud and we talk about pork. Um, I think that's one thing. It doesn't matter who you're talking to in agriculture, Damien. One thing that always frustrates a farmer or a rancher is that someone is throwing them under the bus. And fundamentally, we're all in this boat together trying to feed people. So here's some principles that we have. I just, uh, I, just recommended, well, I just recommended what I would do if I was a marketing guy from Madison Avenue in New York. So don't think that I would fix this. <laughs> I, I'm, simply, I'm simply telling you that's the angle that they would take. 
Well, I, I can't speak for them. I don't know what they're going to do, but I it's tell you the what we they do. could take. It's yeah. the angle they could take. We're, here's where we land. Yep. We're about, we're about the facts. We're about transparency and we're about integrity in the discussions. Um, the pork industry is our position is as a meat producer and taking care of families across the country. We're very interested in ensuring there's a level playing field. We recognize there's going to be innovation and we're pro innovation and pro science, but you better be open and honest about what you're doing and what's in your product. When I look at a label of pork, it can be pretty simple. It's got three, four letters on it, pork, P-O-R-K, period. So if I'm a consumer and I'm thinking about what do I want to choose to eat, it's pretty obvious to me that if I want something that's, that's natural, that has uh, you know few to zero added ingredients, and I know where it came from, uh, it's pretty simple. It's meat. It's pork. Don't need a science degree to read the label. Yeah, actually, that's the angle that I would take as a carnivore and as a marketer of meat, milk, cheese, or eggs, I would say uh, humans are omnivorous by nature. We got big brains. We got the advanced society that we have today because of eating animal protein. If you, if you want to mess with that, you go right ahead. But I'm going to stick with my bacon. And that's a pretty good message because, remember, most folks are still still want their, uh, their pork and their beef and their chicken. Closing thoughts, Bill Even, the National Pork Board CEO, who is glad enough, happy enough, nice enough to join me here on the Business of Agriculture. Closing thoughts on the world of pork. National security, world affairs. Is this going to get worse? Are we going to be okay? You know, in the long run, uh, I'm, a, I'm a believer in the United States. I'm a believer in capitalism, free enterprise. And while we're not perfect, uh, we're the best form of government that anybody's come up with so far. Um, my dad was in the Marine Corps. My uncle was in the Army. And my son's in the Air Force. And uh, I was on our local fire department. So we believe in rural American giving back, and that's what our pork producers do. And the worst thing that can happen is if everybody checks out, and doesn't get involved. I, I've got to give you a shout out, Damien. Uh, the work that you've been doing, uh, starting from really, you know, nothing years ago to the, 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 the horsepower that you've built, being a spokesperson for agriculture, God bless you. We need more folks like you, and we, we love that passion. Uh, not every farmer out there is, has got the guts to stand on a stage like you do and, uh, and be loud and be proud and, and be honest about farming and ranching. And uh, oftentimes, you know, we're busy tending the crops and tending the, tending the animals. Uh, we do appreciate what you do. Well, I appreciate you saying that. I appreciate you being on here. Bill Even has been my guest. He's a South Dakota farm guy. He's the CEO of the National Pork Board. And uh, you know what? I agree with him. And I think that's all I can say right there. Thanks for joining me. Appreciate it, Damien. Take care. All right. Till next time, it's the business of agriculture.